Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. We end this week with community paramedics. Unlike paramedics who respond to emergencies, community paramedics work to keep patients out of emergency rooms by providing in-home health services. These programs can be found throughout Oregon, but their impact is especially strong in rural areas where there are fewer healthcare options. A recent study by researchers at OHSU found that community paramedics in rural central Oregon reduced avoidable emergency department visits by 39%. I'm joined now by two community paramedics. Sabrina Ballou is the Mobile Integrated Healthcare Manager at Mercy Flights in Medford. Jessica Markham, who was recently profiled in the Hermiston Herald, is at Umatilla County Fire District Number 1. Jessica and Sabrina, welcome. Thanks. Glad Thank to be here. It's great to have both of you on. Jessica, first, how do you describe this work for people who have never heard of it? So for community paramedics, it's a little bit of an expanded role for paramedics. We get to do, um, a lot, at least for my program, we do a lot of the same 911 response, but also we have an opportunity to intervene in patients' lives where we wouldn't normally. Um, sometimes the best care for people isn't at the emergency room, and we're able to coordinate with a lot of different services to provide that care at home. Sabrina, I, I saw you say in a present presentation that's online that the one service you don't provide is transportation, which is a little ironic given the way that a lot of us have been trained to think about paramedics. What do you mean by that? What services do you provide? So the unique thing about the mobile integrated healthcare and community paramedicine is we bring patient care back to the patients. And just like Jessica said Patient care isn't always best at the ER, and our ERs are overwhelmed and burdened. And sometimes we can take patients to and connect them to resources such as their primary care provider or urgent care, or we can even um, link into telehealth or work on behalf of their primary care and provide that care for them in their home. So that I always think it's really, really unique as an air and ground provider of services in Southern Oregon, we our department is the only department that doesn't transport currently. Hmm. Sabrina, what might a community paramedic do over the course of any given day? Our program is very unique. Um, so one of the statements I hear quite often is if you hear see one mobile integrated health or community paramedic program, you've seen one community paramedic program. Um, our program provides quite a few services. So our team will visit the hospital. They have a boots on the ground targeted outreach for our homeless population. We have a mobile crisis response program. So it could vary every day. So we could spend part of our morning in the hospital working with our social work and discharge planners, ensuring patients have a safe discharge home. Or we could spend three or four hours out on our local greenway, providing services to our homeless population, which looks like providing substance connections to substance use treatment or mental health evaluation or housing resources or point of care treatment. It could look like a home visit um, anywhere in our 2,600 square miles service area, or it could be a instant right now crisis call to where we go out with one mental health provider and our medical team providing a de-escalation for a crisis. 
Cool. And one person has to be, or, or team of people, but any individual in the program has to be able to do all of those different jobs? Um, we are, yes, we are, we have a team on, so we split that day up and we are all cross-trained or trained in multiple different disciplinaries. So we receive additional training in chronic disease education, um, mental health de-escalation, mobile crisis response, point of care treatment. And we work with our supervising physician to ensure that we have that extra education along with our local hospital systems. That does not sound boring. It does not. (laughs) (laughs) Jessica Markham, is there a, a story of a client or a patient that comes to mind to you that you think illustrates the the way this program can work at its best? So at its best, I'll have to pick a story from when I first started the program is uh, we originally designed our program to deal with or to help work with our high utilizers for 911. And we had a couple who had a lot of falls. So one big part of our program we focused on over the last few years has been fall risk assessments. And um, so we went to this individual who didn't seem to have anything really wrong with them. Um, we'd lift them up, put them in their chair, and kind of go on about our day until maybe another few days would pass by and they would call again. So I had the opportunity to go out to the home, um, really do a lot of different assessments, and our assessments have grown over the years as we've, uh, it, right now it's a program of one, so Sabrina's really leading the way for the state. They've got a great team going. I've tried to kind of figure things out with a little bit of her guidance along the way, and um tried to figure out some sort of reason for this because most people don't don't fall and need an EMS provider to pick them up um, more than a few times a year or really even more than once a year. So through um, just a lot of investigation, looking at their medications and their health conditions and working with their doctor and talking with their EMS crews. And for this um, specific couple, it ended up being talking with some of their family because their family would call when I was there and and the family wanted them involved um, or the patient wanted them involved to kind of figure out what's going on and why. And so through a lot of conversation and a lot of care coordination, we're able to identify some health problems, but also a lot of medication errors. And when we ran numbers a while back, we had about 40% of our patients that were not taking their medications correctly um, that could result in falls. So with all of that, we were able to get them a lot of care um, in the home. Um, Eventually they ended up uh, progressing with some of their health health processes and moved into assisted living by choice and ended up very much enjoying it. And when they moved out of state to go live with family, um, they invited me to their going away party. So that's kind of a little near and dear to my heart now. Hmm. You know, it's an interesting example because it's it's complicated. And my my assumption is that 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 most of the the calls or clients that, that you're dealing with, it's it's we're not talking about simple situations, but it does make me wonder if if a lot of what you're doing collectively is filling in the gaps that exist in our sometimes siloed, always complicated healthcare system. And that is exactly how my chief um, has described it over the years as we're kind of another spoke in the wheel, um, just figuring out what the gaps are and how we can meet them. So for our program, um, we started with trying to figure out 
kind of what was going on to now we have four pages of uh, social needs assessments to figure out what medical devices do people have? Do they have walkers, wheelchairs? Are they getting any social services with transportation, mental health? Um, do they get food stamps? Do they have transportation? Um, do they need those things? Are they getting home health? And then how to get those services to people so that we can prevent their um, additional 911 usage or readmit to the hospital, that sort of thing. Sabrina, what about you? Is there a story that comes to mind to you that illustrates the the way these programs can work? Uh, yeah. Um, so I have a couple or many, but one of the most recent ones we have, um, we had a, an, an elderly female. She was in her 60s and recently had lost um her husband, unfortunately, and we received a referral for for her from a couple different agencies. One from one of our fire departments in our southern area, and then one from our ambulance service for Mercy Flights. And she was having frequent falls, some diabetic issues, and unfortunately, she had lost her husband. And her husband, from what I understood, was kind of hiding the fact of how far she had basic wasn't able to take care of herself over the last few months. So on about the third or fourth call they received, we went out to visit her, we visited her in the hospital. So she knew who we were before we visited her. And because she lived up in our rural area where there really wasn't great cell phone signal. And through our work with her, we brought point of care assessments and treatment to her for her diabetes. And we brought actually our mental health team out to her instead of her having to come into town to get an assessment, we brought that to her. So we were able to assess exactly where she was at and the services that she needed. We brought in supportive care for her medical needs, her durable medical equipment, just as Jessica mentioned, and brought in food because she had significant food insecurities. And then we brought we brought in connection to grief support. The loss of her husband, it was her high school sweetheart, was so impactful to her. She just really did not know what to do. Um, in the end, she ended up being able to manage her diabetes and her mental health. She lived with a friend that was in the same area for a few months until we were able to find her a place to live locally. And she is doing great. She is connected to the grief support, her mental health support, her diabetes is under control. She still sees her friend once a week. And the it's not a care facility, but it's more like a retirement home that she's in. She's able to have friends and that support around her. This is, I mean, I think it's it's impossible to answer fully because it's conjecture. But but what do you imagine might have happened if the kind of coordinated at home care that you were able to provide, if that didn't exist? Oh, that would uh, um, that would almost break my heart because where she's at, if she her cell phone had died or she didn't have access to her, her outcome probably could have been pretty detrimental. If someone didn't find her or her blood sugar gotten too low, um, she may have passed. I mean, we may not have got to her in time. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about community paramedics. There are a handful of these programs that sometimes go by different names sprinkled around Oregon. Jessica Markham is a community paramedic who's a part of the Umatilla County Fire District Number 1. Sabrina Ballou is the Mobile Integrated Healthcare Manager at Mercy Flights uh, in Southern Oregon and a community paramedic herself. Jessica, how much of what you do could be done remotely by by phone or on a computer? Oh, honestly, not much. Um, 
you lose so much in translation. And that's kind of what I love about integrating paramedics into um, this part of healthcare is that on a 911 call, there is so much chaos going on. You have people in distress, you have family members in distress, bystanders. It's just, it's a lot of chaos and trying to control that and deal with the big emergency is a whole different scenario than coming into someone's home, say after a hospital discharge and, um, and kind of saying, okay, what's going on? How can we help you? What were you admitted for? Do you understand your conditions? Do you have your medications? And being able to bridge those two um, for our system is huge because you need both of those. You know, you need to see what family members show up on a 911 call when things are really, really bad. And also knowing what support system they have. Um, seeing in the home, I mean, some programs do very well um, with nurses and that sort of thing of, of making phone calls and the hospitals do a great job of doing everything they can to set people up for success in the home by making phone calls and doing follow-ups. But I've found very often um, in my career that it's not the same as when you go into the home, when you have the opportunity to go into the home and they say, yeah, I have my medications, but then you look at them and you go, you have three bottles of each medication and they're all full. Do you have an opportunity to, to use a pill box? Do you have anyone to explain what these medications are for is until you have eyes on the situation. A lot of the times it's not as it seems when you, when you do that remotely. So being in the home and being able to address some of those needs right away has been um, probably one of the biggest impacts that we've had hmm. as well as, um, you know, medical equipment. A lot of times if we have someone who's having falls the other day, uh, actually, for example, I worked with our local fire department um, uh, on a neighboring town and they said this person's having falls and we think we kind of know the problem, but we'd like you to do an evaluation. So um, did a little bit of a physical evaluation, found some things we could maybe address with some home health services or additional ones. And they took a look at her walker and found she had a broken brake wire. And the fire department there took it apart, went and got a replacement for her brake wires and um, got that repaired for her right away. That's obviously not going to happen on Zoom, not the diagnosis of, of the Walker problem <laughs> and certainly not the fix. Sabrina, we've been talking mostly so far about um, physical health conditions, but you did mention substance use disorder at the very beginning. How often do you and and the other members of your team deal with substance use disorder or, or mental illness? So I did pull just a quick uh, numbers um, before this meeting, and we actually in the last year we served um, three thousand nine hundred sixty three members, and they were patients that we reached out to, and about forty four percent of them, and this is what they report to us in our social determinants assessment, 44% um, of them had a substance use disorder, either currently or within the last six months. And 52% of them reported some sort of mental health disorder. Um, and of that, that population, we were able to connect most of them to we try to we try to connect any of them to mental health or substance use disorder treatment if they're willing to or wanting to. Again, it's about consistency and showing up because they may not be ready for it that at that time. But um, that is, and it, it continues to get worse recently. Mm -hmm. And then the other struggle is being connected to a primary care. So in between that, trying to find a primary care. So we've been working through that in our community. Well, I mean, that that's one gigantic statewide gap in the availability of services. How often, Jessica... 
it, do you run into that where it's, you're trying to coordinate care for people and keep them at home, keep them away from the emergency room, but the, the best way to do that is to get them connected to care that doesn't actually exist? Oh, and that's, it's going to be different for every program. In a very rural area, we do the best that we can. And that's been, um, I've spent the last six years figuring out what local resources we have, how to access them, who would qualify. And so most of the time before I go on a visit, I'll have a decent idea of what services they're getting, um, what they'll qualify for. And when I get there, identifying if they need them um, or if we need to try and pull in some kind of non-traditional things like maybe the local fire department um, in a very rural area has some more resources like they could, again, help with rebuild a walker or uh, find some family or friends or a local church. It's really there's some things that we just can't do for people, unfortunately, and they don't qualify for services. But knowing our local resources has been helpful in some of those areas. Sabrina, how is your funding model, your reimbursement model, different from the way ambulances normally work? Uh, so that's uh, we are we are. Our funding model is primarily through grants and some contracts with um, our local CCO and our county for our mobile crisis response. But for ambulance response, normally if 911 is called, the reimbursement model for that is the, the transportation to the hospital. So ours is more of a proactive outreach and and by referrals. Hmm. Would... Any policy changes, I'm thinking about you know, Medicaid in particular, since you mentioned the CCOs, the coordinated care organizations that are, the, that are the, the regional providers of Medicaid services in Oregon, would any policy changes make your model more financially viable and, and more broadly used? So we're very lucky to have CCOs in, the, in Oregon that are supportive of this program and they are looking at ways to expand it. There could be more that jumped on board and looked at the model for it um, for Oregon, but that limits the services that we provide to just Medicaid populations. So if they don't have that or they're underinsured or uninsured, there's that, or even our Medicare population, uh, those patients, it's really hard to get them to qualify for services. So really looking at how we can address that population or having change in policies there. And I think Jess can probably talk a little bit more about that, but working through our elder, working with our elderly population, that Medicare hurdle is pretty large. Well, Jessica, what's the financial, the society-wide financial argument, uh, just in terms of dollars and cents for providing this kind of at-home care as opposed to using the emergency department? So I think, again, just kind of going back to, I think um, the best care for people is typically in their homes and it's usually a little bit cheaper. Um, I think seeing people in their homes and identifying problems early before they become big issues would be cost savings. And we've kind of developed, um, we actually got some information of a a chart that Frost Memorial Hospital uses over in Washington for their um, estimated cost savings. Um, And for our program, we've ranged between, depending on the amount of patients that we've seen, um, about $200,000 to $400,000 a year of estimated avoided healthcare savings because of the interventions we're able to provide in the home. Hmm. 
my understanding, we have just about a minute left, but Jessica, that you lost a part-time community paramedic because of funding. What's that meant for the services you provide? You mentioned earlier, you're now a program of one. <laughs> um, it just means a little bit uh, delayed response sometimes to see patients. You know, we do a lot of meetings, um, care coordination because of our contract with the, with our local CCO. It's opened up a lot of opportunity and it also takes a little bit of time away from maybe some of the field time. But being able to coordinate care for people on another level, it's really opened some doors. So um, we've had a very generous hospital that's been very supportive of our program. We've had a local hospital district, our CCO. So we're hoping to grow and expand back again um, through our continued work. And people are starting to know more about these programs, and that's been incredibly helpful. Jessica and Sabrina, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Jessica Markham is a community paramedic, part of the Umatilla County Fire District Number 1. Sabrina Ballou is a mobile integrated healthcare manager at Mercy Flights. Tomorrow on the show, Oregon has long had one of the highest rates of kindergarten vaccine exemptions in the country. Now experts say that COVID vaccine skepticism has bled into mistrust of well-established vaccines against measles, mumps, rubella, and pertussis. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC this week. I'm Dave Miller. Have a great weekend. Think Out Loud is supported by... Steve and Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, and Michael, Kristen, Andrew, and Anna Kern. So much of what we talk about on this show has to do with what's happening right now. But there's a lot of history behind these conversations. OPB's Salmon Wars podcast will give you insights into some of that history. It tells the story of one Yakima Nation family that's been fighting for salmon in the Columbia River across generations. Find Salmon Wars wherever you listen to podcasts.